I tell entrepreneurs that when something is changing, immediately start experimenting with new things. Do not put it off. Like I have these talents, I have these skill sets. Where else could they be applied? And again, go back to demand. Where are those hidden pools of demand that aren't being met right now that I could jump into? And how can I identify those? That's the thing you need to do as soon as the situation changes. You're listening to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, the podcast for coaches, thought leaders, and change makers who are ready to become the standout expert. If that's you, stay tuned because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and I want to help you build a successful business sharing your expertise, generate the impact and income you need to create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. Are you ready? Let's enter the lab. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Today, I'm joined by Steve Hoffman, otherwise known as Captain Hoff, and we'll have to find out what that's all about. He's the CEO of Founderspace and one of the world's leading startup accelerators. Founderspace was ranked the number one incubator for overseas startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazines. So this is going to be a great episode with someone that really knows what he's talking about. He's a venture investor, a serial entrepreneur, and author of Make Elephants Fly, and his two most recent books, Surviving a Startup and The Five Forces. So welcome to the show, Steve. It's great to have you joining us. Samantha, it's fantastic to be here. I love talking about business and entrepreneurship. It's the kind of topic that I can, well, I say I can talk underwater with marbles in my mouth for three days without taking a breath. It's just something I really love. And I'm super excited to dive into you because I already have the feeling that you are exactly the same. So why don't you start off by telling us how you even got into business in the first place? What was that catalyst that made you take that dive into entrepreneurship? So actually, when I started out, I was more interested in making movies. I'd graduated with a master's degree in film and television. I worked my way up to a film and television executive in Hollywood, and then I saw an opportunity. So I saw games and I'm also a gamer. And you asked Uh where my name comes from, my nickname, Captain Hoff. That's my gamer handle. I actually, at the time, it was a while back, I met the chairman and founder of Sega, the game company. And this is when Sega, Sonic the Hedgehog, all that stuff. I was just about to say that Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Exactly. And they had just surpassed Nintendo to become the number one video game company in the world. They were on Mm -hmm. top of the world, literally. So I saw a chance. I said, this is going to be bigger than film and television. So he invited me to come to Japan and work on projects for them in Sega. So I just thought that would be so cool. So I jumped over to Sega, worked on some amazing projects. Like Michael Jackson was in one of them. He was actually like, I met him. He came and we did a big project with him. And then I wanted to start my own company. So I came back to my home area, which is the San Francisco Bay area, and launched my own game company. And that was my foray into being an entrepreneur. And then I've done a lot of companies. So I did two bootstrap companies, three venture funded companies. And my most recent business is Founderspace, which is helping other companies succeed. Yeah, I love it so much. Love it. This episode is made possible by your podcast concierge. Editing your podcast can be time consuming. Your podcast concierge offers comprehensive and affordable podcast production and social media marketing services to help you grow your podcast and business faster. 
Go to yourpodcastconcierge.com and book a call via the Let's Talk button on the homepage and receive 50% off your first month when you mention Thought Leaders Business Lab. So you've founded three, or you venture funded three companies, you bootstrapped two. A lot of people talk to me about this and this is an area I know, like I know bootstrapping, I do not know venture funded at all. It's certainly not my area of expertise. Can you just give us a quick example or, you know, explain a little about why would people choose one or the other? Is it around an industry or a niche or just give us some sort of insight into this world? So venture funding is not around an industry. Any industry can have a venture funded business, but it is around business models. Mm -hmm. So for most businesses, they are not venture fundable. Like 98% will not, will never get venture funding. And you ask why, why is it? What's different about those businesses? Well, in order for a business to really qualify for venture funding, it needs to have the potential to grow exponentially, what we call scaling, like becoming really big, really fast. And you look at most businesses, if it's a restaurant, if it's a, you know, small store, you know, a services business, really hard to scale. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Or consulting business. Absolutely. Consulting is really hard because consulting depends on talent. And how can you replicate yourself, right? How can you find, there are some consultancies like McKinsey that become really big, but they tend to do it very gradually over many decades. Now, venture firms don't want something that takes 30 years to become huge. They want something that literally is going to become a unicorn, a billion dollar company in a few years. So Mm -hmm. consulting businesses are out. Like if you run a consulting business, unless you are developing new technology to enable consultants to do something, you know, and that software itself is scalable, you can get on millions and millions of users, then that could be venture fundable. But just giving it, you know, working as a consultant, no. Working as a coach, no. So don't waste your time like trying to get a lot of people like have these business models. They don't understand. They're never going to get funded doing totally. venture funding. So as a venture firm, we look for like, it does it have an incredible team? Like, is there a really great team? Are they doing something that nobody else is doing? Again, if you're doing something that a lot of other people are doing, where a lot of consulting businesses are pretty similar, hard to differentiate, you don't have that edge to really get in the market and grow. So you've got to be offering a core value to your customer that nobody else can offer. And it's you can replicate it over and over and over and again. So you can get lots of customers and scale to, and there has to be a big market behind it, like a lot of demand for whatever you're Mm -hmm. doing. Totally. I love it. And thank you for explaining that because I think that that just helps people, our listeners, coaches, consultants in that professional service space, authors, speakers. So it's really just easier to go, all right, well, let's tick that box that that's not going to happen. Let's move into bootstrapping. Let's move into what do we need to do to be able to grow and scale this business? Because just because we can't have a venture funded company doesn't mean that we can't grow and scale. And in actual fact, I love this business model because it is easy to grow and scale. I think it can move quite quickly if you get it right. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How did you come up? Obviously, you've had multiple businesses. So you've bought multiple business models. I'm guessing multiple different, you know, ideal clients or avatars, as we call it in the industry. How did you choose your ideal client? How did you come up with that? Because I think this is going to help so many people. So I have a particular way when Mm -hmm. I am choosing my ideal client. 
So mm-hmm. instead of picking the type of person I might want to work with or you know some profile, what I'm really looking for before I profile the client himself or herself is I am looking for pent up pockets of demand. So mm-hmm. demand, because I want to be differentiate myself from everybody else. I want to grow my business. So is there a demand out there that isn't being met by other people? Now, let me give you a specific example, founder space. So founder space is essentially a consultancy. Like we are a startup incubator. And what we do is we bring startups in there and we consult with them to grow their business. We'll help them raise capital, give them that advice. We'll help them with their business plan. We'll help them you know, introduce them to lots of people in Silicon Valley that they can connect with all this stuff, give them even personal advice on, you know, they're going through, you know, coaching them. They're going through a a lot being an entrepreneur. So Mm -hmm. our clients are entrepreneurs. Now, when I started Founder Space over a decade ago, we were early, which was good, but there were still other really established incubators and accelerators out there like Y Combinator and 500 Startups, some very established ones. We're like, how do we differentiate ourselves? Like, These guys are running, they were offering these three months or six months acceleration programs where startup founders would come in and spend that time with them, working with them. And they would give run, they would do their consulting like one day a week or one night a week over a long period of time. So the first thing we did was, is there, we started to think, is there a demand here for something, a different format? Instead of three months or six months, could we give them much of the same coaching and knowledge in two weeks, because Mm -hmm. we know it's expensive to come to Silicon Valley. Like it's really expensive. So a lot of people are coming. They can't stay three months or six months. They just don't have the money. They want an exploratory two weeks and they want to use that, maximize that time. And then we noticed another thing. Oh, there are a lot of entrepreneurs coming from overseas and they are coming to Silicon Valley. And a lot of them are sponsored by overseas governments like South Korea, Taiwan, European governments. So they're coming here. They're on, the governments only have enough to sponsor them for a couple of weeks. Like, what if we stepped in? So there was this demand, like there was this demand for consulting services that they weren't getting from these other incubators because they were more geared towards people who moved here, relocated here, who were, you know, a lot of them American companies, Silicon Valley. We saw this whole overseas group, as well as people from other parts of the United States and Canada who really wanted this other format. So that demand, and I'm telling you, like the market wasn't serving that, we jumped in there and that made our name because we became known for that. And the benefit of doing something unique, we could have done what everybody else was doing, but they kind of already claimed those crowns, like they had the brand. So we wanted to build our brand, our consultancy, our incubator brand. And we became known as the one for overseas startups, like Forbes wrote about us. You mentioned Entrepreneur Magazine. Everybody from overseas started to come to founder space and say, can you help us, right? And then we started to innovate, like always innovate. Like once you kind of figure out who your customer is, what more can you do with them? One thing we found is it's super expensive for them to send startups over here and pay for them to run a a program, go through a program like ours, these governments. What if we sent our instructors overseas? to your location. Then instead of sending 10 or 20 startups over here, you could have one instructor go over there and we can help you choose. Not only can we educate all of them, but we can help you choose the ones who have potential to succeed in Silicon Valley. And if they don't have potential, don't spend the money. Like you're saying, you could save a lot of money, meaning you could 
have a much higher success rate for the amount of dollars you spend. That became our value proposition. So we started from demand and offering unique value. And then the customer became obvious, like the customer profile, like, you know, these are our customers, right? Overseas startups, programs run by, you know, funded by governments that want to educate entrepreneurs. That's our customer. I love the way you reverse engineered it and really looked for the gap in the market. And looking for the gap in the market is definitely something that a lot of people talk about. But then, you know, really reverse engineering who that person is makes it a lot easier. I've got a little question around how you filled that gap, because I think that this could be a little bit dangerous for some people. You talked about the, you know, generally the consulting was sort of three months, six months. And obviously those companies had figured out some sort of process for that. And you found an opportunity in being able to do it in two weeks. How did you know or what did you do to make sure that you knew that you could get this done in two weeks? Because there's a big difference between two weeks and six months. So it's not just you found a gap and you thought, oh, yeah, this will be fun. I'm sure that you had some sort of process here to be able to know that you were going to be able to deliver on that. So a lot of times at the beginning, when you're trying something new, you don't know. And this is what I work with entrepreneurs. You don't know. So you ha the only way you can know for sure is to actually dive in and run an experiment. Like what? And then you want to make sure to promise you can't get the same outcome you get in three months or six months that you get mm -hmm. in two weeks. It's just totally different. So we weren't trying to promise them what the startups would get in three months or six months because they have so much more time to make progress and have meetings mm -hmm. and do all this other stuff. In two weeks, we said, you know, we're going to meet every day of the week instead of once a week, right? And we're going to bring in lots of people from Silicon Valley, mentors, you know, marketing experts, lawyers. So it'll be crammed full. You know, you're going to, but it's a different experience. It's going to be like drinking from a fire hose, a crash course in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Like you're going to make a lot of connections. And then if you want to stay longer, you can stay longer and follow up on these. If you want to go home, you got a lot of feedback and you can evaluate whether it's worth coming back for a longer program. So we made a different promise to them. We're, you know, we're not going to see you through this whole product development cycle that takes three to six months. Instead, we're going to evaluate what you have today. We're going to give you really honest feedback. We're going to make lots of introductions. And at the end of the day, you probably aren't going to get funded in two weeks. It's just very mm -hmm. unlikely, but you may meet somebody, one of the venture capitalists or angel investors who eventually leads to that. So that sort of framing uh, what they were going to get out of it and making sure that they were comfortable with that. And then we ran an experiment. We ran a two-week program. Can we do this? Is it, uh, were they happy? And I will tell you, this is another thing. We never kept our program the same. We always improved upon it. Every time we would get feedback, we would iterate, we would make changes. So the first program was fine. It actually ran fine. It proved we could deliver, but it wasn't perfect. And then we just worked on improving and improving and improving, getting better and better and better at what we we're doing and also streamlining it, making it more efficient for us. So it wasn't mm. as time consuming to run these programs. I love that. And there's a couple of points that I really want to highlight. And the first is to experiment because we never know. I think that's, I interviewed someone, it was years ago, and she mentioned that she thinks of everything in her business as an experiment. And it's really, it did, I've been in business for almost 30 years now, but it helped me to be able to get through those fear points a lot easier. Well, it might work. 
it might not. Let's just have an experiment and see what happens. And you know, as someone who loves science too, it's like, okay, well, what did work? What didn't? What are some of the parameters? How do we change it up? And the second point that I want to touch on is that iteration, because I know myself, there is no program that I've ever run that's been the same twice, ever, because you get the feedback from the people that you're working with or the, you know, the market changes slightly. So I think it's really important to embrace that and that it doesn't mean that you get something wrong. It just means that you're doing something better. And I think that's really, really, really awesome advice. So once you've run your experiment, how do you know when to pivot or when to change direction and when to stay the course because you haven't quite got it right yet? Because I find this a really interesting topic. It's really interesting. We hit it right for the time. But like you say, things change. Like the markets are always changing. Demand is changing. So first of all, we ran it and we actually didn't just do one week programs. We did or two week programs. We did one week programs. We did two week programs. We did three week programs. We did four week programs. We found that on average, two weeks was the sweet spot. That's where most people were the happiest, like the entrepreneurs and getting their feedback, gauging their feedback. So we were in a way, we were always trying these different experiments and changing up and then improving and trying again. And then certain, what's also really important is that we had to streamline it because it could be not cost-effective, meaning we wouldn't make profit if it required a huge amount of rethinking every time we did one of these programs. So mm -hmm. even though we were always getting feedback and improving upon them, we also wanted to build something that we could repeat over and over again as efficiently as possible. So we spent a long time on that. Now, where we had to pivot, and a lot of businesses have had to do this, is when COVID hit. Like when mm -hmm. COVID hit, that was like, all of a sudden, there were no overseas startups coming. The governments weren't funding people over. People, you know, it was COVID time. Everything, I'm in San Francisco, like our place was in San Francisco, literally got shut down. Like mm -hmm. everything got shut down. We couldn't run these programs. So, at that point, we had to pivot online, like we had to move online. And I tell you, it was a very difficult pivot, but we knew right away when COVID hit that we, the one thing I can tell you about pivoting is don't put it off. Like I had been in businesses in the past where I refused to recognize that something fundamental had changed. And because of that, I lost a lot of money because we stuck with it this time. When COVID hit, we were literally like, let's get out of our space. Let's get out of the lease. Like, I don't, this thing isn't going to be over in a month or two. Like, I hope it would, but it's not, I doubt it. So yeah. we just literally, you know, got out of the lease, got out of the lease. We had overseas locations in some places, like we have them in China. We have five incubators in China, major cities. Those remained open for the most part because China's okay. kind of walled. Yeah. China totally walled off. They don't allow foreigners in. And the government can do things we can't do in the United States. They can literally shut down an entire city and say, nobody's yeah. leaving this city until the, you know, so they'd quarantine, not people, but entire neighborhoods and cities, which we could never do. And they have much more stringent controls. So they've literally controlled COVID. So all our incubators are open there and everything we had to do. And then we had deals in the works, like for Australia and South Korea, we we're about to open. Those got canceled. So it was like a, it was not a pretty situation. We had a lot to deal with. And then we moved online. So literally, we just took everything right away, put it online, all our courses online, everything online. I have to say, it wasn't, it hasn't been as profitable 
because a lot of people go to startup incubators to be there in person. Like they don't go there to have a Zoom call. Like there are, no, yeah. you know, people are, and especially people get sick of Zoom really fast doing the Zoom yeah. calls over and over. Experience, the connections, the collaborations. They do. It's personal, like with coaching. Yeah. I mean, a lot of coaches are working on Zoom. It's harder to make that bond. Sometimes you can do it, but it's often harder, especially where groups are involved. Like one-on-one, you can be pretty effective on Zoom and other platforms, remote platforms. But when you get a group dynamics, it becomes much more difficult to really bond with the people. It's you just a very don't. different, very different. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we were group programs. So that we did pivot. We made those changes. We hope to actually go back to the old model because we found it much better. But when I tell startups what to do, fortunately, we have multiple revenue streams. Like this was also really important. We do corporate consulting. We consult with large large corporations. We've had Qualcomm as a client, Bosch, Huawei, these big companies as our clients. We run different types of programs. So a very important thing to do is where do your talents where can they translate that the market needs right now? Mm -hmm. So whatever you're doing, don't expect like when something changes fundamentally, like we don't even know if COVID is really over yet. Like, and it's been almost two years, it feels like. And we honestly don't even know if it's over. Like there could be a new variant tomorrow that comes Uh up and this, and it could be worse. We don't know, or it could end. So I tell entrepreneurs that when something is changing, immediately start experimenting with new things. Like, do not put it off. Like, say, okay, I have these talents. I have these skill sets. Where else could they be applied? And what does a market, again, go back to demand. Where are those hidden pools of demand that aren't being met right now that I could jump into? And how can I identify those? That's the thing you need to do as soon as the situation changes. What's the difference between pivoting? And, you know, COVID's probably the easiest way to describe a pivot. Most of us had to pivot in COVID, the difference between that and dropping something that could work, but someone hasn't really let it run its course yet. So, you know, what I see a lot of is people trying one thing and then moving on to the next thing and to the next thing. And really, if they had have just stuck to that one thing, it would have worked. And there is the difference. So how do people see or understand the difference between this needs to pivot and I really need to stick with this. That is a great question because it's every entrepreneurs and consultants, you know, we all face that. So we get excited by the next shiny object. We jump into it. We're like, oh, this could be big. And then we hit a roadblock and we're like, give up on it too soon. Like we don't really figure it out. So, you know, when do you give up on these things? The reverse problem is also true. I see entrepreneurs who literally stick with the same thing way too long. Like yeah, flog it to death and it was never going to work. <laughs> never going to work, right? So yeah. I kind of have a rule. You need to get to that customer as soon as possible. And you need a few things. So one, you need to have a number of customers who have that same problem. Whatever they're coming to you for can't just be a few people. It has to be big enough to be whatever your market, you have to size the market. So you have to look at you know, how many of these customers are out there. And more importantly, When you go to a customer, if you start talking to your avatar, your target customer, and you're like, you know, I want to offer you this and that and this, and they tell you, oh, that'd be nice to have. As soon as they say that would be nice to have, you are dead in the water, like Mm -hmm. literally dead. Because, you know, honestly, how you know is you go, is it on your top five priorities? Is it 
Like, what are your top five priorities? Is do what I'm offering you in the top five? If it's not in their top five priorities, they will never get to it. And nice to haves are things that they would like to have, but they aren't in their top priorities. And literally, top three is even better. Like, if somebody's looking for coaching or something, you know, they're usually in a crisis. There's usually something that isn't working, and it is, you know, solving that problem. They're reaching out to you is in their top three priorities. So if you go to them and you can't, and they're not like, I need you today. Like I need you yesterday. Like this is some, I've been waiting for you to walk in the door. Oh my God, you have exactly what I need. If you're not getting that reaction, there's nothing there. Like you can't make, I have a rule. And the rule is you as a consultant or an entrepreneur can never create demand. You can't make somebody want something, no matter how great your service is. Like you could be the best coach in a certain area. Like you could be brilliant and you could be like, you could have all the solutions, but if nobody really needs it, like you can't make them need it. Like no matter how good you are, you know, they'll need it for a while, but if it's not in their top priorities, they've moved on. Like, so you need to figure that out. You need to test that market early and then keep testing it often because people's needs change to know that that's the only way. What's the difference between someone having a top three priority and there being nothing there, really getting that ideal message right? So what I'm trying to say is that through getting your message right, can you help people to understand it's their priority where maybe they haven't understood that that's exactly what they needed before? How important is getting that message right? Well, first of all, I think getting the message right is absolutely critical. I do not think if you're, I have another rule. I have lots of rules. So I write about (laughs) a lot of these in my book, Surviving a Startup, because people Uh like rules are really important. I've been in a business where I had to educate the customer. Uh I don't like that business. Like if you need to educate them on why they need your service, like that's a sure sign you should move on. That's a sure sign. These people need to be like, educated on this, don't go there. Like just switch your business. Like that's the sign that you should quit doing whatever you're doing and pivot. If so, most things can be summed up very simply, like any good service product or service can be summed up in like one sentence. So you Mm -hmm. need, it's important to figure out what that sentence is in order to save you time. So that when you go in and meet people at a cocktail party or in an elevator or wherever, you can literally say, oh, this is what I do. And you say it in the most effective way that like strikes them. Oh yeah, that's exactly, you're the type of person. I I know somebody (laughs) who needs exactly what you're offering. So the messaging is really critical around that. But if you say that message, so it's good to craft your message, but even a bulky message, like at the beginning where you don't quite have it refined, you don't know how to say it. Listen, if you are clear and articulate and least saying it, you might not be able to say it as concisely as possible. It might take you several sentences, you know, a few minutes to say it. But if you can get that across clearly, that's good enough because if Mm -hmm. they need it, they need it. They don't need it. They will respond. And if they don't respond, no matter how much you refine that message, it won't make a difference. I love it. Love it. I do a client's messaging. Definitely exactly what you said. It is needed. And the reason it is needed because as a business, we need to make sales. Sales are absolutely the lifeblood of business. Can you talk to to you about one thing? Message. Yeah, go for it. If you want to get the right message, understand what their pain point is. Like everybody, they, you know, especially with consultants, they hire consultants because they're in pain. Like they don't hire consultants just to feel good, like to feel better. Like, no, it's a real, there's something that they, really need change. So 
you go straight to that and you make that your message. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we can do for you. Like, you're not getting customers or your customers are walking away or you, you know, you're having a crisis in your life and you need somebody to help you through this, whatever that is, then that pain point defines your message. Love it. And I think that it's really important here to mention, because this really confuses a lot of people, is we talk about that pain point through the eyes of the customer, not how we fix it. Because I hear so many coaches and consultants say, well, the way we're going to fix that is, and they go into, you know, their proprietary, you know, framework of how they fix it. I'm like, no, 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 no. People don't want to know that. They just want you. They just want to know, can you solve their problem? So Exactly. I that- they don't care about your proprietary framework. They don't no. care about you know, all your great teaching, you know, everything. They care that you understand their problem, first of all. Like, uh-huh, do you uh-huh. get it? If you get it, they assume the rest. Like, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. I say to my clients, your ideal clients want a Tylenol or a Panadol. They don't want the health and wellness program. Like, just, just get that off the table first. And then transition into the health and wellness program. Yes. Yeah. Once they've already said yes, they're committed, then you can go into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So from there, sales is where I wanted to go. Sales is such an important part of business. And obviously, having started so many businesses, you've gone through this numerous times of really getting that bolder moving and getting those first sales in. I'm sure you've got a ton of insights around sales. And I'm not even going to ask you a specific question. Just what is the top things that you would love to share around sales, getting sales, converting? Well, it plays off of what we are just talking about. So if you find a customer, you hit their pain point and they respond, oh yes, I have that problem. I really have it. So, you know, what solution do you have? And again, instead of going into your whole program and your formula and all that stuff, which they are going to gloss over on, and they not, you know, they don't really care about the technical details of what you do. What you need to do is give them examples of people who had exactly the same problem that you solved. Like mm-hmm. if it's getting revenue in the door, we tripled the revenue for this company, this company, and this company in the time they were with us. Or we, you know, whatever it was, give them real world examples of problems you solve. That sells people. Like they don't care how you solve that problem. They care that you could show them that you actually have succeeded in doing it. And then they believe you can do it for them. And whatever program you have, they'll just accept if they believe that you can solve their problem. That's number one in sales. Number two, uh, whenever you're selling, I always say, before you start selling, you put yourself in the shoes of the customer and in the mind of the customer. So the deeper you can go, and that requires you to listen and ask questions and engage with them and look at it from their perspective. The more you learn about what's going on in their head, the better you're able to sell them. The next thing, number three, don't sell them, help them. Like people help them make a decision. Like if you're trying to shoehorn your consulting into their problem and it's not Mm -hmm. an exact fit, just do them the favor and yourself the favor of recognizing that right away. Oh, you should be talking to, you know, Sally. She's much better at this than I am. Like she's your perfect person. Boom. They're going to be happier in the end. Sally will probably give you a referral back. You know, you would had to try to make what you do work for somebody when it doesn't really work as well as it could. I -hmm. always say that really important helping people. If you come to it with that mindset that I'm going to do what's in your best interest in the long run, you're going to be the customers you get are going to be happier. They're going to act as referrals. Other people that you trade with referrals are going to be happier, much better outcome. 
Yeah, this is something that I learned in my first business and I've carried it through. And that is when you do that, you have integrity. And that in turn will give you more referrals and more returning customers. So something that I, my original business was in the dance industry and we would have parents bringing their children in with their, like their old dance shoes, for example, and say, you know, are they, do these still fit? And I know there was other stores that would go, nope, they need new shoes. Where sometimes we would say, actually, you know what, you know, little Lucy, she'll get another six weeks out of those dance shoes. Just, you know, come back. That customer will definitely come back to you. They're not going to go somewhere else. And it means they're going to come to you every time because they trust you. So by you saying no to the money one time, it will pay dividends for years and years to come. Totally agree. All of us think that way. Like we want people we trust. We want mm -hmm. people because we trust them on multiple levels, you know, monetarily. Can they really, are they, do they have our best interest in mind when they're giving us this consulting? Are they steering us in the right direction? Really, really invaluable. Yeah. Then they become your customers forever, right? Whenever they need that, they're always coming back to you and they're referring you. So it's huge. So there are lots. The other thing is it's really important to set be in charge of setting the framework. Don't wait for your customer to set the timeline on the decisions they make. You need to have a structured process that where you, where it leads up to a point where they make a decision. So a lot of people don't want to get rejected. They don't want to hear a no. So they will always leave the door open. Oh, well, you can come back and do this and do that. That doesn't help. That actually makes your chance of closing that customer lower by giving them a more time, more ways to not make a decision, to sit on the fence. I always yeah. say, if somebody needs what you have, they are going to literally make the decision right then. Like as soon as they understand what you have, if they need it, they're going to be deciding. So mm -hmm. why not get the answer now? Why obscure it with say, you know, allowing them to not decide, walk out the, and then you're calling them up two weeks later. Are you sure you want this? And then a month later, you're calling them. You're wasting your time. Like, and you're not really building a better relationship because they don't really need it. So when they do need it, they only remember you as the person who bugged them a lot of times, mm. not the person who, you know, so you come up to them and you're like, you know, you have to set a structure where I need your answer now and ask for it in a really nice way. You know, I want to really help you. My schedule gets really full. And so I might not be able to fit you in. So you need to be able to tell me uh, within today, hopefully, or within a few days, whether this is something you want and I'll book you in. And if not, that's fine. You know, you don't have to decide you can go and, but we may be booked up, you know, for the next six months or whatever it is, but doing that really important to closing. Yeah. I love that. I really, really love that. You have shared a ton of value in this episode, where can people learn more about you and more about Founder Space and connect with you to soak up way more of this wisdom that you're sharing? So super easy to find. Just go to founderspace.com. When you go to Founderspace, you'll see we have lots of stuff. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of free programs on there. You can get all sorts of free videos and stuff. You can also find my book, Surviving a Startup on Founderspace. So if you want to it's also on Amazon and everywhere else, published by HarperCollins. It has a lot of this advice. And there's a contact form. You can just reach out. I answer every email. So I might not give you the answer you always want, but I always answer. And I'm also on all the social networks. So if you're on LinkedIn, just look for Steve Hoffman, Captain Hoff, or Founderspace, and you will find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And as always, we'll put all of those links in the show notes. 
So if you're out doing something else and you forget where to go, just head to the show notes at samanthariley.global forward slash podcast and all of the links will be there so you can connect with Steve or Captain Hoff, whichever one you want to connect with. (laughs) That's actually the same person. Thank you so much for joining me here today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you, Samantha. This has been wonderful. It's been great to share another episode of the Thought Leaders Business Lab podcast with you. If you want more, head over to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast for the show notes, the links from today's sponsors, and to download your detailed episode companion for the extensive notes and value bombs we shared today. And if you're looking to connect with other experts and change makers just like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive Thought Leaders Business Lab community on Facebook. The links are waiting for you over at samanthariley.global forward slash podcast.